relationship with God, whether maybe you've just started one or you're seeking it out, that you will spend time practicing the presence of the Lord. Our world, our schedules seem to be so hectic and so full that we miss out on some of the greatest joys just because we don't go there. And you went there this morning. Thank you. And for those of you to get a chance to share your faith story, um, share it with someone else before you leave the building, how God's working in your life. I want us to return to the series that we're in entitled Light and Life. I thought about putting a third L on it, the L3, and that is love. Light and life and love. Because the epistle that we're in, epistle is the word for letter, the letter that we're in that the Apostle John wrote to the Christians in his time in that first century, he repeated themes over and again in this letter. He repeated themes concerning God being light. He repeated the themes of God being there to make our lives alive. And he repeats the theme of this love aspect. And so we're going to look at that today uh, in chapter 4 of John, 1 John. We have been on a bit of a journey here in the last couple weeks in particular. And it's sprung from what was in chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his commandment, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So that's where chapter 3 ended, and then we started into chapter 4. Two weeks ago, uh, we did a, series, uh, a message entitled, Test the Spirits. And we talked that Sunday about, is there something going on behind the scenes? Related to his exhortation then concerning the belief in Jesus. And he said, Test the spirits to see if they are from God. If, Jesus Christ, if they deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh in human form, God himself, then they are not of God, but they're a spirit of the Antichrist. And so we spent that uh, Sunday a couple of weeks ago talking about, is there something else going on that's behind the scenes? And where did the false prophets get the words that they were speaking? And could there be a spiritual realm that's directing that? You guys hung with me really well on that Sunday. And then last Sunday, if you were here, I said, you know, I want to just sort of make it a little bit more practical. And we opened it up for some Q&A. And uh, I didn't get to my message last week that we're going to focus on today. But I was very encouraged last week by your receptivity to an understanding related to the truth issues. And the truth issues directly related to how the spiritual realm and the spirits, the unclean fallen angels seek to wreak havoc in our world by propagating false lies. False information, lies, fake information, however you want to refer to it as, is prominent. But there's an engine behind it, and that's the adversary doesn't want you to know truth. Isn't it true all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell, when they first sinned, the serpent, Satan, showed up and said, Did God really say that to you? Why is he doing that? He's keeping something from you. You need to eat of that fruit. Whisper, whisper, spoken word, spoken word. He's been at the same thing for all these millenniums. Distorting truth. Getting you to believe lies. Getting me to succumb to uh, the discouragement of those lies. 
And we have to rebuke it. We have to come back and say, no, Jesus Christ is who he is, and he speaks truth, and I'm on his side. Even if you're a seeker of God this morning and not understanding maybe where a relationship with Christ could come out in your life, you need to understand that the reality of who Jesus is is at front and center of what you need to research, what you need to discover, what you need to talk to other people about, and what you need to make a decision on. Who is Jesus Christ? Was he just a great historical figure who was a teacher? And there's a bunch of churches like this one that uh, sing songs to him after 2,000 years. Or was he God himself come in the flesh and defeated the works of Satan and his workers through the cross and the power of resurrection and provided you with a means to have not only forgiveness of your sins, but power over that sin in your life and to become, as we say here at the awakening, fully alive in Christ and to his mission. So those passages were there to test the spirits. For you see, spiritual forces of evil, they're always in opposition, not only to one thing, but two things. They're in opposition, Satan and his workers are, to the right view of Jesus Christ. They're in opposition to truth. But they're also in opposition to love the right view of others. That's where that verse 23 went. He's saying, you know, this command to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to love one another. John's upholding those two things before his audience that he's writing to, saying, make sure you have the right view of truth and the right view of what love is because the enemy's going to attack those two and you and I as fallen human beings, we will have the tendency to fall in those two kinds of, uh, fail in those two kinds of areas as well. So today we move to verse Seven, And so he moves from the truth issue of belief in who Jesus Christ is to the second critical issue, which is love, the view of others. And so I've just simply entitled today, Test the Love. Not only test the spirits, but let's test the love that's going on in the environments that we are in and even in our own life. And it comes from 1 John 4, 7 through 12, and it really points us to what really needs to be going on in our life and in our world today. So, I don't know if you're familiar with this passage or not. I'm uh, very blessed to have a wife, Melissa, who sings really well. Um, when we got married, I, I don't know, I guess I was naive at the time. She thought it would be a good idea for us to sing at our wedding. And she thought it was a really good idea to sing this one particular song. Maybe some of you know, I Cherish the Treasure, right? That was what it was. I did not know that she wanted me to lead the song off. Now, men, when you're standing at the front and your bride walks in, and it was a long aisle, and then you have to sing, this is not a good thing. <laughs> in fact, when I was coming out from the back, I'm just, I, I froze. I'm like, what's the first line? What's the first line? Somehow I got through that. I don't often sing in front of people, but um, uh, my wife does far better than these guys up here, Andrew and Joe and stuff. But I cannot lead this uh, talk off today without trying to sing. So will you, you give me some grace? Because when I hear this passage, I go back to some of the formative years in my life. You know, when you learn the little 
diddly songs and other kinds of things. And this passage we're looking at today was embedded in my heart when I was younger, not in the NIV, but in the King James Version. Some of you are with me. You're starting to know what I'm thinking about. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He who loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. How many of you are with me there? How many of you know that? That's King James Version. Join with me. We're going to do it again. You ready? Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He who loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. Good job. We're done. That was good, you know. We went long two weeks ago, and... And last week was sort of a Q&A kind of deal, and that was a little weird. So there, you sang a song, the pastor sang with you, that's the message, we're good. Let's go home, let's find some place to eat and do it, right? It's so common to us, friends, that a lot of times we're numb to it. But it's the command of the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, loved ones. Scripture teaches us this. Let us love one another. In the NIV it says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is from 1 John, a letter written by the Apostle John. John, the fisherman, who was picked by Jesus and, and left the boats and the fishing to, to follow him. And he saw all that Jesus began to do. And we've said earlier that John sort of had a rough personality. Him and his brothers, James, were called the, uh, the sons of lightning. They were zealot kind of people. But God transformed and changed his life so much that he had this tenderness to him. He understood the love of God, and he, in turn, would love others. And through his gospel, the gospel of John, as well as the epistle of John, first epistle, second epistle, third epistle, you will find this even in the book of Revelation that he wrote uh, in, in uh, forecasting end times type of stuff. There's something about John on this theme of love that when you meet him in heaven, He'll probably give you the same command. Welcome to heaven. Let me encourage you to love one another. Right? In fact, he was doing it at the end of his life. One of the early church fathers, his name was Jerome, or also Eusebius. He was probably, Jerome was probably in the top four, like Augustine and Ambrose and Gregory the Great. These were early church fathers who taught the body of Christ it was growing at the time. And Jerome says that uh, the Apostle John, when he was late, late in his years, and could hardly get around. In fact, they would have to pick him up. They would have to, to escort, somehow carry him into church in his last years. 
he would sit there in a church environment like this. But one of the things they did, because, I mean, he's, he, he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, the last one still around, right, who just actually walked with him, one of the twelve. They would allow him to say a word. They would help him to his feet. John would say in church, little children, let us love one another. And then he would sit back down. The next week, the same thing. Little children, let us love one another. And, and, and this would happen on a regular basis, or maybe not just a weekly basis, every time that they would gather, which was more often than just Sunday only kind of deal. And I don't know, if you're in the church, what happens to you when you hear repetition? It's like, uh, really? Don't you got anything more than that? And so some of the church leaders got so bothered, Jerome says, that they, they, they actually went to John and, and they asked John, so why do you keep saying the same thing over and over again? And John just looked at him and he said, because it is our Lord's command and if this only is done, it is enough. Because it is the Lord's command, and if this only is done, it is enough. Now maybe that needs to be a word to our contemporary society. Maybe it needs to be a word in your household. Maybe it needs to be a word in the circle of friends you have. Young people, as you're heading back to school, maybe that's a word for you. People that are in your middle, busy, crazy work environment, maybe it's a word to you, let, let us love one another. In the church, maybe there's been conflict, maybe something's gone on before, past history, not healed up. Let's just, just get down to the brass tacks and listen to John say, because it is the Lord's command, and this only is done, it is enough. Little children. Let us love one another. And so that's why he comes and he exhorts it so clearly in this statement because he knows the adversaries at work to try to bring destruction and uh, difficulty into that church environment and the movement of Christianity that time, last part of the first century. And he's pulling them back to these words. And why does he pull them back to these words? Because Jesus taught these words time and time again. Just go to John 14 and 15. Read through there. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. What? That's new, Jesus? Yeah. It was new in that day because they had lost sight of it. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first commandment. And the second is likened to itself. Love one another. And he taught them over and again, and John's whole personality and demeanor changed because of the power of Jesus coming in upon his life through the Spirit. And he was known as the disciple of love to today. And so here we are in chapter 4. Haven't we talked about this before? You're right. It was in chapter 1. It was in chapter 3. Here we are in chapter 4. It's going to keep going on. Why? Because he's still standing in the churches asking you to do this only because it would be enough to rock and change our world. The challenge, though, is to be able to do it in a measure that also 
upholds truth. Because it's not just the one. Love one another. It's the truth. Believe and pull in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you see happening in our culture today is a split between these two. There is adamant, just love and be nice and be kind to one another. Just get along. Everybody's okay. Whatever is okay for them is okay. We just need to love one another. Right? It ends up being this mushy kind of love. Parents, is that the kind of love you have for your kids? Yeah, whatever, do I'm going to love you, man. Well, you are going to love them no matter what they do, but you are also going to speak truth to them. Do not do that. Do not go there, or that's not right for you to do. Why? Because the love and the truth have to go hand in hand. And so as much as you might find people on, on one far wing of things, and whether it's just in a, a sociological, cultural, or even kind of political circles, oh, they're just way over there. The adversary, the spirit behind the scene, is working to swing other people way over here. What's the truth? you got to believe in the truth. And, and this is wrong, or that's wrong, or you're incorrect with that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I know I may not have a corner in truth, but I believe this to be true. Right? So you got one camp going, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. It doesn't matter, right? You got the other camp that's so dogmatic, judgmental, that it's offensive. It pushes people away. Because they don't have the balance of the love. There's the test, the spirits for truth. But then there's the test of love for the command to love one another. And to hold these two in tension is a challenge week in and week out, whether it's with our own kids and our families or extended families maybe, or your co-worker, or you being able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot divide the two. And that's why John's exhorting them. You see, when he dipped into chapter 4, you're like, whoa, man, touch the spirits are from God. That kind of, you know, he, he just goes on the edge. And, and then he circles back around to this love theme. He's wrestling in his heart with what he's seen going on in his day. And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I'm wrestling in my heart with what I'm seeing going on today. I see division. And I can jump in probably either camp and sort of chide with them on some of their points, but the challenge is to bring them together. How do you love one another in biblical truth? concerning all that God's doing and what's going forward because God's love is not divorced from God's truth. So please, as God enables you, walk well in your day to uphold truth and to uphold love because both need to go hand in hand. The first thing I want to exhort us to on this test of love is this. It says to test one, I mean to love one another. And here's our key. We are not to love people because they are lovable, but because each is another. Does that make sense to you? 
C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, thank God he did not command me to like everybody. I may find my children or my friend or my colleagues or my stranger on the way distinctly unlikable. On certain days, given my own taste and ways. But even if I am turned off by someone, I can still care for him or her as a fellow human being. In fact, one of the realities we need to face and remember is that the person who needs our love and care the most may be the one who is particularly unlikable at the moment. Oh, you're going to go there, Carrie? Yeah, because the command to love one another, you've got to start right there with the command. It's the one another. The other person may not be likable, but they're another. They're a human being. You see, you know, it's easy for us to say, you know, I'm going to uh, love my friends and be kind to strangers and be nasty to my enemies. That's a natural disposition. But the scriptural command and what our world needs today is to see one another for who they are made in the image of God. Everyone is a person capable of a unique relationship to God. And therefore, not a thing to be dealt with impersonally or to be opposed or accepted as it suits our purpose. But a living, breathing, searching creation of God. Maybe you've heard the adage that in our day we like to, uh, we love things and we use people. But the reality is, we need to love people and use things. There's different ways I have to remind myself of this week. I'm no different than you are. I'm, you know, I've walked with Jesus a number of years. But I'm still asking the Jesus that lives in me to live through me in the moments, right? And one of those places is on the road in traffic, right? Especially if I'm in a hurry to get somewhere. And, and for whatever reason, I seem to get behind somebody who I know that person is incompetent behind a wheel. And I start thinking to myself, I'm going to get around that person. And I bet you, and I have a stereotype in my head. I'm sorry to tell you this, I said. I have a stereotype in my head, and I won't go in the different directions of where that stereotype is of that person that's behind the wheel. And sure enough, when I blow past them or whatever, I get around them, sure enough, that person fits somewhere in my category. I had prejudged who that person was, I had objectified them, if you will, in a sad way, and they were in my way, and they were causing my day to slow down. But I've had to teach myself when I cruise past that person to see them as an object of God's love and think to myself, okay, they may be X, Y, and Z, whether it's on the aging scale or other kinds of scales that I have in my mind sometimes, and I go... I wonder what's going on in their life today. I wonder if anybody's ever prayed for them specifically. I wonder what their hopes and dreams are in life. I wonder if they've ever come to experience the love of God. Now, you may say, oh, that's really nice of you, Carrie. And, and sometimes I don't dwell there long, but I've had to teach myself, Carrie, stop doing that. And, and when you blow past them, look, Gawk at them like, no. 
scares me out here. You know, I'm from Indiana. It scares me driving in California. I hear these things. I'm like, I don't even want to look at them. You never know what they might look back at you with, you know? So you're like, all right, yeah, they are. Okay, Lord. I pray for that person in their day and what they're going through, their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations, maybe the difficulties that they've had. And I have to choose in my spirit to right-size them as an individual who is not a thing that's in my way, but a person that's created in the image of God who is living, breathing, and searching just like I am. Probably one of the most foremost illustrations on this was brought to me a number of years ago. Maybe you've heard me share it before. True story from my understanding. But it was the story of a, a gentleman uh, who was on an airplane, and he was really bothered by the father and the other kids uh, that were flying with him because of how disruptive and unruly they were. And he thought to himself, why can't that dad get a hold of his kids and get them to settle down here? It's, it's causing everybody around here to be bothered and to be disrupted on this flight. Well, somehow, the long short of it, he came to find out from this gentleman the story. And the story was they had been on family vacation from the Northwest, and they had traveled by car to Florida, probably to go to Disney World. But on that trip to Florida, there had been an accident, and their mother had been killed. And with all the preparations, the plans post that tragedy, they had placed the mom in a coffin, a wooden box, and she was uh, being carried back with them, but she was in the cargo bay. You hear that story, and what do you do? That right-sizes that person real quick. And one of the questions I ask myself sometimes with the people I can get agitated with and bothered by, and I can go, could somebody come and deal with this situation? Weren't they raised right? Or whatever weird mind goes, right? It's like, okay, I don't know what they're carrying in their cargo bay. Maybe they never had a father or mother. Maybe they, they had somebody that abused them. Maybe they had a church experience or something that, that scarred them. Maybe, you know, they are, 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 are a weak and uh, humble person uh, because of circumstances in their life. Or maybe they've never had the opportunities and blessings I've had to be around the body of Christ, to be able to hear Jesus' love for them. And so I, I just need to stop. Because I don't know what they're carrying in their cargo bay. This commandment to love one another keeps coming around and around again to me and I know to you and here in our passage again today. Friends, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who is born of God knoweth God and is to love one another. Whoever does not love does not know God. What do you mean? This is a bit confusing. Are you saying that just people that don't even know God or Christ, that they can't love? No, they can love. It's called general grace. But ultimately, the love that we're called to have as believers is a biblical love. And they can't extend that kind of love because the full love of God is not in their heart. There's always a little bit of, hey, I love you if, or I love you because of, or I love you when. It's not the I love you, period. I love you for who God's made you. 
to be in his sight. Broken in all, sinful in all, I'm going to choose to love you. And whoever does not love, it's a strong statement when you think about it. Really, John? Whoever does not love in this measure does not know God. You and I have every reason, whether it's our own life, maybe our family or others, if you're not seeing love happening or going there, you have every reason to question whether they know God. May that not be true of your life with others. May they know that you know God, and from that, may they know that you know God because you love one another. This is how they will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, because you love one another. Now, earlier in this series, when we looked at this whole subject of love and we're circling back around there again, as John's doing in his letter, I asked you to think of someone who was the most unlovable in your life at the moment or unlikable at least, right? And ask God, who is it that you could maybe show some love to that you've been a little bit harsh with and uh, obstinate or given up on maybe? And be sensitive to the Spirit with that because they need to see that love as we're going to find out later. The reason that we love, though, is because God himself is love. And with God, there's a lot of attributes that describe him. I believe probably the highest, most inclusive attribute is that God is holy. It's hard for for us to understand what that means. It talks about the weight of his glory and someone other than who we know him to be. But this aspect of love, John says here, and remember, this is the guy that was sort of obstinate, a little bit hard to get along with, was, you know, let's call lightning down on people and thunder. It's changed, man. And he says, you want to know who God is? God is love. Now, this is not some like new age or postmodern euphoric kind of, oh, it's just the spirit of love. That's who God is. No, God is a person. He is the uncreated creator of all the universe. And his son is 100% God. And when he came in the flesh, he was 100% human. That's all on the truth side of things, right? We're not talking about love as some type of nice feeling. He's got to feel a little bit of vibe. Well, let's just uh, have a moment of silence and, 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 and pause and, and let good vibes come to be able to wish people well. I'm like, you can go there and you can live there. That's fine. I'm not not loving you for that kind of thing. But I'm telling you on the truth side of things that there is a God who exists. No one has seen God at any time. They're going to look at him in a second. But the God who exists is love. And the way that we have the capacity to love one another I mean, some of you are sitting together as couples. Some of you are sitting beside your kids this morning. Why are you doing that? Why don't you go over here and just sit by yourself? Because you're scared. That'd be too close to the preacher on a Sunday morning. You're right. I could call you out or something, right? No, you're, you're, a, you're a person who loves. You love your spouse. Even if you had a tough week with your spouse, right? Stuff in the cargo bay. You love your child your son or your daughter, even though maybe they are in some transition areas of life. You love, why? Because you're made in the image of God and being made in the image of God, God is love, so you have the capacity to love. And that very command, he's now pointing back to the source by which you're able to love even unlikable people. 
And he says, step into it. Whoever does not love does not know God. And, and, and maybe you know God, you cross the line of faith, but somewhere in your life you're not dialed in on a daily, even hourly by hour basis to the God that you have this relationship with. Because when we sing a song like that, oh, how he loves you, we're dialing into his love for us. And then that love for us, we start to understand afresh that God is love. And this person over here, I'm having a hard time loving because they're just not in a likable kind of place right now with what they're going through. You say to yourself, God, you are love. And I am to love them. Not a wishy-washy kind of sloppy agape kind of love, but a truthful love that cares for them. So God, you are love. Remind me of your love for myself, for my family. And then as you dwell within me, may I be able to love one another. You have that capacity because you have that opportunity you have that resource to you as a believer in Christ if you're there this morning. And if you're not a believer in Christ this morning and you're finding it pretty hard to love some people in your life, I ask you to consider inviting the God who is love into your life and surrendering to him. He will radically change your life, not only like he did with the Apostle John, but like he's done throughout history, testimony upon testimony upon testimony, people who said, I once was this way, but now God's made me this way. I can go person to person. Bro stood up there in the back. It's part of your testimony, isn't it? That I was this way, but the God of love came into my life. He changed and transformed me. So if you're a non-believer this morning, or if you're watching online, or even after the fact, I encourage you, you're struggling, you're challenged. Well, is the God of love a part of your very life? Because he wants to come into your life and change you. Not make you weird, not make you some legalistic, truth, truth, truth only person, but to bring truth and love together in a beautiful blend and transformation. It's what we're about when we say being fully alive in Christ. We want you to see transformation. That's what I do on a Sunday morning. I there's a lot of information I can give, but I'm not about giving information up here. I'm about seeing transformation happening, and I know you are too. God is love. It goes on in verse 9. This is how God showed his love. Ah, this is interesting. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you know there is nothing in all the world that shows you that God is love? You can say that God is powerful. It seems like he created this world, maybe. It may be, you know, that God is uh, majestic, like, you know, wow, some pretty incredible kinds of things. But it says in Romans that the divine power and the eternal nature of God have been clearly seen from being understood from what has been made. It's referred to as general revelation. But the idea that God is love required special revelation beyond general revelation. And special revelation has been given to us in God's word. This is a special book. It's special revelation. But this book in the New Testament in particular, right, is pointing to God himself come in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ showed us the very character of God. It says in the Gospel of John, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Oh, I want to see God. And God said, you can't see me. 
fact, Moses, remember Moses? He says, I want to see you, man, on the mountain. He says, you can't take it. He says, you hide yourself there in the cliff. You turn your backs, you know, you, you just hide there, and I'll show you my backside because you can't handle my full glory. And I believe that to be true. And so God said, I'm going to show the human beings that I created that fell away to redemption, and I'm going to show them who I am. And so he came in the flesh. Jesus Christ, born among us, lived and died a sinless life, was crucified on a cross for our sins in obedience to the Father, was raised from the grave, destroying the power of Satan, sending to the Father, sending His very Holy Spirit back to be within us. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in one, one in three. It's hard for our small little ant-sized minds to comprehend the Trinity, but whoo, boom! It's there in Scripture, it emerges, and the Scripture teaches us that God is love because it showed us that love in Jesus Christ. So you doubt God's love for you today? Oh, how He loves us. Then go back and just read what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. It says, whoever would believe, whoever confesses me, whoever, that's your name in Scripture, these things I've written to you, John, says that, that, that uh, the testimony of the disciples, whoever would read that in future generations. This book is not written to the ancients. It's written to you. And so get in. I had the opportunity to meet uh, this past week with a new couple uh, that, that uh, came last week. And we were, we were talking and sharing a little bit. One of the questions that uh, uh, they, they asked me was, uh, after the fact almost really, was oh, where should we start reading in Scripture? And I said, go to the Gospel of John. Because in John, you're going to read about Jesus. And give some special attention to the red letters, if you have a red letter edition, because the red letters are the actual words of Jesus. And, and build an understanding of who Jesus is and, and what he thinks of you and what he's done for you and how he teaches you. And that's true in my life as a seasoned believer, as well as if somebody's new. I want to know Jesus because Jesus shows me God. And Jesus, though he had some tough words and he didn't like the people over here that were the hyper-religious, critical, uh, judgmental kind of people. He had some really hard words for those people. He, 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 he communicates in such a way and lives in such a way that I'm endeared to him. And I understand and know that God is love because of Jesus. Endear yourself to Jesus if you're struggling with an understanding of who God is. I was like, I don't feel God. I, you know. Well, let's go to Jesus and let's see from there. This is how God showed his love among us. His son was an atoning, an expiation, propitiation. There's different words in that. But he dealt with the sin issue. He dealt with the sin issue. He can deal with the transformation of your life, no matter how deep in sin you and I fall. But then in the middle of that, it says that we might live through him. Your calling to love one another is that you're going to live life through Him. You're going to live your life through Him, and He is going to enable you to love other people. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He just rolls right back into it. So if we're to love one another, then we need to know the God who is love, 
And remember that the God who was loved showed us his love and that he was loving because of his death and his resurrection, his personableness in our life, and that he gives us the life by which we can then love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Loving others is not automatic, but it is possible because of the God who lives in you. It can be expected because the God lives in you. I've seen people radically change their attitudes about all kinds. I, a lot of people, you know, I, I know the whole subject of, you know, pro-choice, pro-life out there. And we, but here's the reality. I, I find it really, really difficult to see someone who really, really loves God to not love an unborn life that lives in the womb that God created. And I've seen people who've been very strong pro-choice that have allowed the love of God to come into their life, and I've seen them change and transform. God loves every man, woman, and child, including the unborn child. And I know that's hard because it's a subject matter in our culture that's got political heat to it. There's people in here that there's grief because of the journey that maybe you've gone on and, and a decision that was made early in your life or some, a loved one made a decision. Friends, God can heal and he can restore, but we need to reckon with this. God is love, and if you are one who lets God's love dwell within you, you will find yourself endeared, even in difficult circumstances, to life. Even to someone that you're passing in a car going, I don't know, they're my way. You're endeared to them if you let the love of God who lives in you love through you. And other people, they've not seen God. And the way that they're going to see God, guess how they're going to see God? Through you. Through you. God lives in us. And when he lives in us, he is going to show his love to other people. Some people will never see or experience the love of God unless you are obedient to gauge in their life and encourage them, reach out to them. That's a, an astounding thought. Well, can't they just find God on their own? There's a lot of churches around, especially in America. There is nothing in all creation that says that God is love. Scripture and the life of Jesus does, but that Word of truth in that person of Jesus is going to be reflected through your life. So that's why he exhorts, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. It's not to say that loving one another is effortless. It's not. God living in me does not mean that I don't have to make effort to love unlovable and unlikable people. But it's my command from my Lord. Ray Stedman says this, God's dwelling in us. Is that God's dwelling is in us when we are nice to those who are nasty, patient with those who are stubborn, tender with those who are obstinate, thoughtful to those who are selfish, and considerate to those who are difficult. God becomes visible only when we manifest love to one another. Got anybody in any of those categories in your life this week? Yep, you got called out today. 
not by me. You got called out by God himself that dwells within you. That's why I'm thankful in Romans 5, 5, it says this, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. The more you worship and the wonder of, oh, how he loves you and me, the more you are able to love one another because he's pouring out his love through your life to others. Biblical love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. At its heart, biblical love is a commitment, not a feeling, and thus it may be commanded. Shall I read that part again? At its heart, biblical love is a commitment, not a feeling, and thus it may be commanded. I just fell out of love with him. I don't love him anymore. Well, your definition, if you're on that path, is it loves a feeling. Feelings will come and go. Love, biblical love, is a commitment. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, until death do us part was your marriage covenant vow. That's a biblical love that comes from God himself. And that is a commandment and can also be a covenant that you make no matter how challenging your marriage is, your kids are, your co-workers are, your unlikable people around you. The exhortation from John is to love one another. And so this is how we know that we are in right relationship with God. Truth. Do you have the right view of Jesus Christ? And love. Do you have the right view of others? Are you living in truth? Are you living in love? Test the spirits to see if what you're listening to is the truth of God or the truth of another side. And as it relates to others, the test of love. Are you willing to enact that biblical love, even if it's a tough love that sometimes we have to give and saying that's wrong because God's love is not without truth. The test of love and the test of truth. Will you stand with me? Lord Jesus, as we leave here today, for those of us who are followers of you, may you fill us with your love through the Holy Spirit and pour it out through our hearts. A love that loves in truth. Lord, for someone that's come to our mind this very day, may you give us the instructions and may you help us know how we need to move forward in loving them in a tangible way. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has never crossed that line of faith and accepted you in their life, I pray that they would take that initiative and that they would invite you in, the God who is love. Forgiving them their sins, choosing to live for you, may you pour your love out into their heart for the first time in a fresh, powerful way. God's people said, Amen. If you have a prayer concern today or you'd like to know more about the love of God or how to make a commitment to him, there's a prayer area up here to your right. There are prayer works to be glad to pray with you. Um, I want to encourage us today that on our way out, um, 
there will be baskets for you to be able to give your offerings. So you can also give your offerings through this number and an app that's here. Uh, just type awakening to 77977. But we are getting ready to pivot here. As a church, we had our big block party, and uh, thanks so much the Roses and Chandlers that are here uh, for your opportunity to let us just have fun at your house yesterday. But we're sort of making a pivot as we move towards the fall. And I want to encourage you uh, to get all that vacation stuff out, and let's get locked in as a church. Next week, we're going to have communion together. A week from Wednesday, our student ministry is going to relaunch on Wednesday at 6.30. So students and young people ages 6 through 12, you're back on for the 4th at 6.30. But let's choose to love one another by being committed to the body of Christ and our fellowship one with another. Have a great week. God bless.